Hello and welcome to episode 9, series 1 of Tulip Talks. Welcome back any trusted listeners, I appreciate your tuning in every week, it doesn't go unnoticed. Any new listeners, hello, welcome, I hope you have a laugh along the way. I hope this entertains you and manages to fill in a bit of time for you because that's what it's all about at the moment. That's why I set off on this journey nine weeks ago to try and fill a bit of time for me and hopefully relieve some boredom for other people who are in Melbourne in lockdown. I know I have to speak about Melbourne being in lockdown because many of you listeners out there as I reach a global network won't even know where I'm actually based because you haven't had the chance to research me and find out about my story. You've just jumped straight into the podcast because your friends have said you absolutely need this guy in your life. Who am I kidding? There's three of you out there listening now, I know it. I can see you laughing at me. Anyway, it's been a great week. It's been a lovely week for me, actually. It's Thursday, by the way. I am trying to stick to record these on a Thursday now because I feel the vibe's better on a Thursday. I know Fridays don't really mean much anymore, but I still think you get that Friday feeling, don't you? Even though you can't go out and do anything in Melbourne, it's still a Friday. It still means there's not going to be any work stuff happening Saturday, Sunday, which I know some of my friends will say, well, what's the difference? You're not working anyway, which, you know, to be honest, I'm not. There's not a lot of recruitment going on at the moment. We've got a couple of things that have happened this week, which will uh, lead us to start to be a bit busier and try and find some people for some clients, which is great. But no, we're not really at full capacity at all. But then I didn't start this business with Leah to be at full capacity. It's more of a lifestyle, you know, live to work, not work to live and all that. So um, I think that's the wrong way around. But anyway, you get the gist. Don't work much is is the message I'm trying to give you. Um, but no, it's been, uh, it's been a good week and uh, hopefully you've had a few lols at your end. How is that when people text lol or ruffle? They're not rolling on the floor laughing. They're not laughing out loud. I don't know if any of you lot have had the uh, the new one which is going around. It's not so, so new now, but you might have not even had it, so it will be new. B-A-T-M-N, which stands for breathing air through my nose. So you're basically saying to somebody, I'm sniggering. I'm, <clears throat> I'm breathing air through my nose, but I'm not ruffling. I'm not rolling on the floor laughing. I'm not lolling. So there you go. Um... Hopefully this will give you a bit of a, a ruffle or a BTAM or dyslexic, whatever. I don't know. But it's been a great week because the weather has dictated my week this week. I've looked out the window a few times this week and thought, nah, a bit windy, a bit rainy, not going to go for a walk. Can't really do much in the garden, might get hit by a branch. So I've been a bit, um, well, I don't want to say lazy because I've still been doing stuff. I've still been pottering around the house and trying to put things away and clean up after kids and do all the mundane things but I think sometimes in life you've just got to accept the fact that your house isn't going to look like a show house it's not going to look like it does on the magazines and even when you get to having the house in that state it just doesn't last does it and I know I'm not telling you anything groundbreaking right now but it used to really bother me that there was stuff everywhere around the house you know and even if it was all clean and tidy and um you know, not dirty, but just clutter. It really bothers me. And it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. Because I know that's just life, and sometimes you need to see a bit of life in a home. But I think if you worry all the time about things that aren't really a big major deal, then what a life are you going to have? Same as when you... And I was chatting to a good friend of mine earlier about this. When you, you gear yourself or your life up for other people too much... It's not the way to live. Like, I'll give you a little bit of a, a secret now. 
um, all of our good friends and family will probably know this, but Leah and I were shocking sleeping in the same bed together. Horrific. Leah is the lightest sleeper I've ever come across. And I know that sounds rude and I'm not going to go there, but she will wake up at any sort of sound, any movement, anything. And it's terrible. And I really felt for her when we first started going out because I fidget, I move around, you know, and I know there's not much of me, but, you know, if I move, sometimes there is a bit of a ripple. And um, she never slept well. Even on her own, when she's in her own bed, she doesn't sleep well. And she's been to sleep school and she did get her sleep sorted perfectly. She was actually sleeping maybe five or six hours a night just before Josh was born. And then the pregnancy and all that sort of got thrown out. And since having kids, I mean, we do sleep brilliantly now and the kids are amazing they both go to bed at seven and Seth has a little dream feed at 10 30 and well, I sometimes do as well a little snack a little pizza shape or something but now nah, he has a little dream feed about 10 10 o'clock now and um, Josh sleeps through till seven so it's great but the reason that we actually sleep so well is about 12 months ago we'd had enough we were sharing a king bed which is big enough for two people of our size but it wasn't working we weren't getting a good night's sleep and it was really really getting to us now, I can sleep anywhere. I can sleep on a clothesline, so I'm not too bad. But, of course, if I move around, which I do, and the odd uh, grunt and snort and what have you, which I try and deny, but she's recorded it. I do make noises. Then she, you know, wakes up, and that'll be it for her. Um, she won't go to bed. Like, she can have maybe two hours sleep sometimes if we're in the same bed, and it'll be a shocker. So we decided about 12 months ago that we were going to actually get queen-size beds each and put them next to each other. Because our bedroom is pretty big. So it fits easily. We've got two queens next to each other. We've still got heaps of room either side. And it's been amazing. I've got a really bad back, or I did have, because the mattress we had on the king-size bed was a really soft one. And it just didn't work for me. I like a really hard one. And you can insert your own punchline there. I'm not going to go there. Last week was the crude and filthy, not this week. This This is for your grandma. So, um... I've got I decided I was going to get we were going to both get queen beds and we were going to get independent mattresses. Now I got one of those ones that you buy online. So I wasn't going to try it but I just read the reviews. It wasn't a koala one but it was like that. It like a mem- a memory foam. Memory foam mattress, that's what it is. And um it's been amazing. But it arrived. It arrived in like a box like the size of a pizza. It was crazy. And I thought there's no way that's going to be a queen size mattress, but you open it up and it it zhuzhes out and um, you leave it 24 hours and it's a perfectly formed mattress. Anyway, it's really hard and it's amazing. And we've got matching um, linen and bedspread, so it all looks like one big bed. We probably need to get a headboard to join it together. and But it, it doesn't matter. Not many people, if any, see our bedroom. But I did feel a little bit um, strange about it when we were we lost our cleaner about 12 months ago. And... Um, I think she's under the stairs but no we lost her because she wanted to do something actually we used to have a cleaner you know we used to have a cleaner right she was crap um and then she moved from living locally out near eltham where we are she moved down to frankston and she said oh don't worry i'll still clean for you but it's going to be an extra 15 dollars an hour to cover my petrol don't think so love anyway so we had to recruit for a new cleaner and the cleaner that we've got now, by the way, is the most unbelievable woman you've ever, ever had in your life. She's amazing. Beautiful soul and an amazing cleaner. And we're not 
we're not talking a lot of cleaning here. We, she comes for two hours a fortnight. That's not much. I mean, we work from home anyway, and we did pre-COVID, so we can justify that. I know a lot of old school people think, oh, you know, you, we never had cleaners, but you've got to work out how much your time's worth at the end of the day, and I don't want to be spending my spare time, although there's a lot of it, cleaning bathrooms and mopping floors, when I can't even do a good a job as a professional can anyway. So it's two hours a fortnight. We think that's fine. Um, I like to keep on top of the kitchen myself because I'm a bit OCD, so I like the grill doing in my own way. But anyway, the point being is that I had to have all these cleaners come round and have trials and show them around the house. And I was so embarrassed every time I brought them into the room because, I mean, I know that looking at me and looking at Lee, you'd not imagine we'd be in the same bed. But, you know, believe it or not, we are very... Um, no, I won't say it. it was crude and filthy last week. But we have a lovely relationship, me and Leah. But the separate bed thing, I was thinking, you know, I have to say something. So every cleaner that came in, even though I knew I wasn't going to see half of them again, I'd say, oh, yeah, you know, we just don't sleep very well in the same bed. And every single person that's seen it and every single cleaner that day, and I'm talking friends and family and all that that have since seen our setup, go, oh, my God, that's amazing. I'd love that. And I know you've got to have a big enough bedroom to um, house it or, you know, people I know that sleep in spare rooms. and that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And someone said to me when I first told them about it, oh, you know, what about, you know, what about the intimacy? And I'm thinking if you're only worried about having a bit of a nookie in bed, then your sex life's an issue because it shouldn't just happen in the bedroom. So don't worry about that, Chico. Um, but having that separate space to sleep is just unbelievable. And I can't recommend it highly enough if you get the opportunity. But the point of the story was, is living your life for you and not for anyone else. Because I remember pre-COVID, we went to go and stay at Leah's mum and dad's house up in Hurstbridge. And we stayed in the spare room and it was a queen bed. And we both went to bed and tried to sleep and none of us slept very well. It was terrible. Like Leah needs to build like this barricade of cushions. I don't know if it's a female thing. I'm not sure, but I think she's a little bit extreme with it. So she builds this big barricade of cushions all around her. Um, it might be t trying to tell me something thinking about it, as I say out loud, but um, it means that there's really not much space for little old me anyway. But every time I moved and every time she moved, we just woke up and we had the worst night's sleep ever and went down the next day and Daryl, Leah's dad said, uh, how'd you sleep? Which is always a weird question anyway, isn't it? <laughs> when it's your in-laws. Imagine if you did, well, I didn't sleep to be honest, eh? Ask no questions, I'll tell you no lies. I would never say that. Anyway, we're married now, it doesn't happen all that often, especially not the in-laws. So um, I said, oh, terrible, it's awful. And Leah's mum said, well, that's why you need your own bed, you need, you need to have your one bed at home that you should sleep in all the time. And Leah was like, what are you talking about, mum? What, so you think that we should get used to sleeping in a one bed scenario which we know doesn't work for us just so that on the off chance when we stay in a in the same bed at a hotel or at your house then we sleep well it's like nah and i remember when my mum and dad downsized they went from a five bedroom or four bedroom house to a two bedroomed cottage when me and claire had moved out and i think i was just about to go overseas or anyway i can't really remember timelines now and i don't want to be quoted on anything but We'd moved out of house and home and mum was saying, well, what are we going to do? We're going to move into this cottage, which is beautiful. It's on the village green and it actually has a beautiful pub that I used, one of the pubs I used to work in opposite. It's 58 steps from my dad's front door to the pub and it's got nine rooms above the pub that you can stay in like bed and breakfast, which is great. And I remember my mum saying, what are we going to do? We're going to be moving into this small house. She doesn't talk like that, by the way. E, Jim, man, what are we going to do? We're moving into a smaller house, man. 
don't know where she's from. Um, and he goes, well, who cares? Like, for the amount of times that people come over and stay, then we can just, I'd rather just, you know, not spend an extra 200 grand on a house and every time someone needs to come and stay and we don't have room for them, just put them up in the pub. I'll pay for it. Who cares? 100 quid a night, whatever. But all these people that live for other people. Like, I was chatting to my mate earlier and he was talking about, you know, getting a pizza oven and having all these things in the garden and all these things, really. And I said, well, do you really want that? Oh, it'd be nice when people come round and have a pizza oven and do this, do that. And I'm thinking, that is nice and it's a nice bit of theatre, but how often are you really going to do it? And it's for everyone else. It's not really for you. Concentrate on what you want for your family first and what your uh, immediate friends um, maybe appreciate, but don't appeal to the masses when it's things like that. And it's a nice little segue to me using my pizza maker that I got for my birthday off my parents last week. I don't know if I mentioned, but it was my birthday. I got one of those, I don't know if anyone's seen them. I might be the last to know, but you plug them in and they're circular and it's like a circle on top of a circle. It's got a pizza base, like a ceramic stone and underneath is a, um, a heating element and above it it's a heating element so it's a bit like a sandwich press but it's for a pizza and um, it's bloody brilliant I think they're about $150 and they're ace like you can obviously you know sort your own toppings out listen to me telling you how to make a pizza but I just loved it and and we've had it loads since I've put on four kilos but the point is that if that was a wood-fired oven there's no chance I'd be doing that shit making the effort how many times do you make a massive effort with something and you just think that wasn't worth it like seriously i don't want to name names but i've got a friend who's one of my best friends and he goes to so much effort cooking and stuff and he's done like you know hand um, homemade sushi and rice paper rolls and all that and like a sushi rolls two dollars fifty like, and, and you buy all the ingredients, you buy all the shit for rice paper rolls, you never make them as good as the shop. You spend hours doing it, you make a mess. And then for what? Something that isn't as good? Oh yeah, but it's nice to make your own. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not nice to make your own. Sometimes when you're cooking just for two people, you go through all that effort and you think, price a takeaway these days, and the healthy takeaway, I'm not just talking pizzas and stuff all the time. But it's just not worth it. I think sometimes you do need a little cheat and you need to not be so hard on yourself. Yes, the idea of cooking and doing all these things, like veggie patches, right? I know Leah's going to not love me talking about this because she is very into her veggies and um, we've got these planter boxes all done and we've got the nets up this year to try and stop the possums eating them and the bugs and we've got ash spread around the bottom and we'll do all this stuff. But if I look at how much we'll actually produce of tomatoes, strawberries and all that stuff that we're growing, I don't even know what half of it is anyway. And then you just think, well, is it really worth it for all of the effort and all the cost of your fertilizers and the watering and the time? And I know there's people, oh, but it's great, it tastes so much different. But does it taste that much different? Which again leads me on to a wonderful segue. I met up with a friend on Monday night that I didn't met get to see for my birthday on the Saturday. And we met up in a park on Monday night and um, took Josh and he took his daughter. I won't name names, but he'll know who he is if he's listening. And he very casually gave me a bottle of wine. He said, oh, there you go, mate, that's for your birthday. And I was like, oh, cheers, thanks a lot. And we just chatted. I hadn't seen him properly for ages and had a really good chat with him, and as I always do. And it got to about 
Wednesday, was it yesterday morning? I've got this app. And if you haven't got it, you need to get it. It's brilliant. It's called Vivino. V-I-V-I-N-O. And it's a free app. And what you can do is you can take a picture of any wine label and it finds it. It tells you what it is, where you can buy it, what the average price is going to be if you buy it, what food to have with it, everything and all the reviews. So you have scores and all these people rate it. It's brilliant. And it's great as well if you're having a dinner party, you know, when we could. People, I mean, people will bring wine around and you don't always drink the wine that people bring. I, I get annoyed about that though. Unless it's going to someone's house who really knows their wine and food and they've paired it perfectly. But when I take a bottle of something to someone's house, I like to think I take a decent bottle and I want to drink it. And I don't know what the rule is on that. Like, should you take that for them to have at their leisure or... I don't think my real, well, my real friends don't care. I'm talking about people that you maybe don't know that well, but you buy stuff, don't you, and you want to try it. Anyway, when people come over, and if you haven't drank it that night, or even if you have, you can get this app, scan it, and then you can see if they're a tight ass or not. But it doesn't matter for me with wine, because I've had some amazing bottles of wine that have cost $6, and I've had some crap wine that's been $100. Um, I've never spent $100. I'll probably have it at a restaurant, but begrudgingly or on a work card back in the day but yeah I think sometimes you're just not even that um my palate wouldn't be refined enough to appreciate something of that beauty so anyway my mate gave me this bottle of wine and it was Wednesday morning and it was on the side and I pulled it out of the bag and he put a few golf balls in there as well which was nice and um I scanned it and I had to do a double take I'm thinking hang on a minute what's this I thought I must have done this wrong, so I've I've taken another picture. And sure enough, same thing again. Average price for this bottle is $499. Now, he's a very generous man, and he's a very successful man. But I'm not worth a $500 bottle of wine, especially not nonchalantly giving it to me on a Monday night on a park bench. Insert your own punchlines. I bet you've all had there. Uh, anyone ever had it given to them? nonchalantly on a Monday night on a park bench um, and he left it and it was so I was thinking hang on a minute now what's on so then I went independently online and thought right I'm going to put the name of the wine in I'm going to do a bit of research and it was just saying this is the best wine ever this is amazing I paid whatever for mine and all the prices were stacking up and I'm thinking that's unbelievable because if that is the case and he has done that whether he's bought that paid for that paid whatever for it with the fact that he's passed that on he's unbelievable but what was more unbelievable was the way in which he did it because if it was me and I was passing somebody a bottle of wine like that I would be I'd have it cradled in a in a little bag of straw and I'd be presenting it on a purple cushion and I'd also want to say hey by the way it's a bloody good bottle that one but he was so casual about it which I think makes it even more amazing so I could me being me I couldn't let it lie I had to ring him I said Luke I've just told you who he is now, but anyway, there's a few of them around. I said, mate, uh, why am I ringing? And he's laughing. I said, why am I ringing you? He's like, what? I said, this bottle of wine, talk to me. He went, what? It's a really nice wine. It's an organic wine. It's one of my favourites. I said, mate, talk to me about this wine. Come on. He went, what? And he's such a good... The, the great thing about this guy, I'll call him Luke now because I've already said it. The great thing about him is he comes out with some absolute pearlers and he drops them in 
And I I love words, I love expressions, I lo- and I just hang on stuff like this. And, and if I hear something I like, I want to use it. But he drops them in so casually. And he just said, Paul, many are called on, but few are chosen. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> I love that. And I was laughing my head off. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? Come on, what is it? What, stop it, God, stop it. And um, I, I couldn't get everything out of him. But it turns out that his mum is really good friends with the people that own the winery. And um, he's had a few of these bottles in his time, or maybe had one or whatever, but he loves it and he passed it on. And as I said earlier, it doesn't matter what he paid for it. It doesn't matter what it's worth. It's the fact that he passed it on to me so nonchalantly. So I said to him, well, what, what would have happened if I'd have just, you know, necked it on a Wednesday afternoon, just bored? said that doesn't matter that's the that's the way that it should have been done you know just enjoy it and I said well we're gonna to have to drink this together and I did say to him at the time when I pulled the label out and pretended I knew what I was talking about I was like we'll have to share this one together but I, I did say I'm glad I said that to you because we will and he goes mate you can do whatever you want with it it's up to you and I was like well anyway it turns out this wine has gone gangbusters overseas and the Chinese market absolutely love it because it's organic and it's meant to be the most incredible wine ever and it made me think you know just and I said to him well how did you know did you, what, what, that was it. I said, well, what if I'd have just necked it or what if I'd have not, not realized what it was and, you know, not given it the, 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 um, the pedestal it deserved. And he goes, well, it's you. Of course you would have done. I know, I know what you like. You can't not research something. I know you got that little app and I was laughing out of, I just thought he's played me perfectly here. So made me think like, what do you do? Do you build that up? Do you, do you think it's going to be a special occasion one? Do you share it with him? Then I've got to share it with Leah. Then I've got to share it with his wife. That's only maybe one glass each. Do I just go me and him? It's half a bottle, but he's had it before. Do I go me and Leah? It's half a bottle each. Or do I just have it by myself? Should I not have said anything? I don't know. Nah, you got to share wine. So I'm going to share it with him and Leah and his wife. And I'm going to nonchalantly say, Bloody hell, mate. It's one of the best I've ever had. I wonder what it'd be like in 10 years' time. Just to see whether or not he might feed me another to sell her. But, you know, if you're listening. If you're listening, Luke, I look forward to having that with you, mate. But I don't know about wine. Sometimes you have a really nice glass, don't you? And you just think, I don't even know. I don't care how much that was. It was just wonderful. And sometimes you're underwhelmed. But that's life, isn't it? That is life. He's a good bloke, is Luke. So I met him through um, Leah's mother's group. So when Leah had Josh, as new mums do, they get a mums group. And we had them round with all their partners the day after Josh's first birthday. Josh's first birthday was on August the 9th from memory, which I think is the same day that he was born, which is handy. And we had 172 of our closest friends over for a party. And it was epic. I think because there were so many people here, I maybe got to spend two minutes per person and was just running around like a blue-ass fly all day, had a chicken and lamb spit going. And it was so good. So many people made such an effort to get here because we do live a bit further out. Although, you know, who's laughing now? Everyone's talking about, oh, it's a bit far from the city. You're 40 minutes on a train from the city. What do you need to be in the city for when you work for yourself and you work from home, you bell ends? Yeah, but it's nice to go in the city, isn't it? Is it? Is it? Anyway, no one's going in the city now, are they? <laughs> anyway, um, we do live a bit further out in the leafy suburbs of um, Briar Hill. I never really say Briar Hill because no one even understands where it is, but it's betwixt 
Eltham and Montmorency. And that means in between, for any of you northern listeners out there. And I met Luke the next day because Leah decided it would be a good idea to have everybody from the Mother's Club. Actually, that's a lie. No, that is a lie. I'm just telling an absolute barefaced lie. The next day after Josh's birthday was Tori's birthday, which is Luke's daughter. Yeah, that makes sense. because That's why they're in the same mother's group, because Tori would have been born the same time as Josh. Right, so where's my story? Had a massive party for Josh's first birthday, but did go and see Luke the next day. And because I'd had a massive one and wanted to have a few drinks the next day, I went to um, his daughter's first birthday, which was like a little church hall in Eltham. And I didn't want to rock up empty-handed. And I also wanted to make sure that I got to drink beers that day. So I took a big slushy esky full of all the beers that were left over from the night before, which there were quite a few because I'd overcated, believe it or not. So I wheeled in this massive esky full of icy Asahis and Peronis and Stella and Tiger beers. There was all sorts. And I must have looked like a right degenerate because I don't think I'd had much sleep, but I felt great the next day. Anyway, it was a lovely time. But the day that Luke came over the first time ever when I met him was the night after a huge night I'd have with with Leah's brothers. So Leah's brothers are both DJs and they'd been, I think they'd been DJing or we'd been to watch a DJ in the city. It's great having Leah's brothers that are A, younger and B, into music because I'm massively into my music, but getting on a bit older now, you don't really go and do the club scene, but I get an excuse to do it through them, which is just amazing. And all of their friends and um, Shane's girlfriend and all her friends and everyone. It's just awesome. Like I get this network of people and me and my friend Phil that I've told you about who lives up in Brisbane. Um, we went to Rainbow one year and we went to Rainbow and we must have looked like, well, we thought we were going to look like, you know, Frank the Tank, the old guys and all that. But believe it or not, when you get to those places, these bush duffs, there's loads of people of all different ages. People take families, people take all sorts, people take all sorts. But anyway, me and Phil had an absolutely amazing time there. And there's a story that I will tell one day, but I can't tell it right now because he's a mortgage broker and he's got clients that think he's a certain person. So I won't say it now, but he is a great guy. And just because of what happened at Rainbow doesn't mean he can't make you a great deal and save you some money on a mortgage. So anyone out there who does have any needs or loan requirements, please let me know and I'll put you in touch with him. But yeah, we went to Rainbow. It was absolutely crazy. The first time I went to Rainbow was with Leah. Um, Leah was pregnant with Josh and we went because her brother Shane was playing there and Jared was also there, which is Shane's older brother, which is also Leah's brother, which is funny. And we all went to Rainbow, which was amazing. But Leah being pregnant couldn't really get involved too much. But Leah's awesome like that. She still had a really good time and still got wasted. I'm joking. No, she still had a good dance and was brilliant. But the worst thing about Rainbow is, well, the only bad thing about Rainbow is that the music doesn't ever stop. So you try and get some sleep at night and you just can't. It's just crazy. And you just can't sleep during the day because it's 40 degrees and it's just pumping. Um, but the second time I went to Rainbow was just with Phil and Leah's brothers, the party crew, which was just amazing. It was so good. And um, yeah, there's just no real rules there. You can have a great time. You don't shower for four or five days and you just dance and have drinks and all sorts. It's good. It's good fun. Anyway, the point being 
um, if I can remember what the point was, is that um, going out with Leah's brothers is awesome and going out to clubs and stuff and you have a bit of an excuse because if you chat to a random, you can kind of say, oh, I'm here to watch them play or I'm here for this deed. You know, you can tag along. You're not just a a late 30-year-old guy in the corner of a club bobbing your head around and drinking a castaway through a straw. Did you ever have castaways? That was a really good drink we used to have when we were younger. used to bomb it through a straw. It's like a fruity drink. Anyway, um, I'd been out with Leah's brothers the night before the first time I met Luke, and that was fine, but we didn't get in till late. I think it was like a five or six o'clock finish by the time we got home. And the next day, Leah's decided to bring her mother's group round for the first time with all their partners, which was which was fine. Um, I just Leah just said, all you have to do is be up at, like, get ready by 12 o'clock, and be ready to be on the barbecue and all that. And I was like, yeah, perfect. So I uh, think I got up earlier than that and was fine. Didn't feel bad at all, really, but just, you know, was ready for a few more drinks. But I just wasn't really knowing what to expect because it's it's not friends, is it? It's just people that you've met because you've had a baby at the same time and their partners. And I remember the first person that turned up, the first couple, I was like, you all right, mate? You, you want a drink? This is to him. And he was like, oh, like a drink drink. I was like, yeah, do you want a, do you want a beer? And he was like, oh, I didn't, oh, well, I didn't think to bring anything because I didn't really realize it was that kind of affair. And I was like, well, it's Sunday, so do you want a beer? He's like, oh, yeah, I'd love to one. So he had a beer and I think she did too. And you know, they didn't come with anything, but that's fine. doesn't matter. It's not what it's about. But it, I think he thought it was going to be bloody volivants and cherry aid or something, but... Anyway, he had a he had a few drinks that day. He had a good time, and um, everyone started rocking up. And um, I think Luke was the last one to arrive with Ebony. And Ebony's a beautiful looking girl, and got a cute little girl, Tori. And Luke's just an he's in my phone as Dreamboat. He's just such a good looking man. He's got this. He's got the voice of Jonathan Brown. He's a sparky, you know. He's rough around the edges, but he's. You know, I don't mean that. Phys- I just mean he's just one of those. He's just got everything. He's the real deal. He is the real deal, and. Um, I think I even said to him, as soon as I saw him, I felt comfortable enough to say, look at you, you are beautiful. And um, he came in with an esky, which was part of the reason I think why I fell for him. He had a full esky of beers that day on ice. And I was like, there you go. Nothing against the first guy that turned up, but this guy is your polar opposite. And he's an absolute fucking heartthrob. Anyway, he just started drinking with me next to barbecue and I'm cooking up food and I just gravitated towards him and everyone else was lovely and we met some really good people and we've made some really good friends out of them and some of the partners of Leah's mother's group people are lovely and we're still very good friends with them today but um remember when Luke came over that day I just I was just besotted by him I don't know if you any men out there have this where you just have a complete bromance with someone you're just crushing on him you just I don't know, you just want to make them laugh, you want to make sure they've got enough drinks, you want to feed them food, you want to, you just want to smell them, touch them, anything, but not in not in any way heterosexual, just like in awe, and Dreamboat's been that to me, and he's a really good mate, and um, he's the one that gave me that $500 bottle of wine, but on that day, I did get a bit loose, it was brilliant, and he'd been out the night before, he'd been up to some mate's house and had been camping so he had a big slushy esky the next day that he brought in and we bonded and it was wonderful. It was a wonderful day. It's always difficult, isn't it, meeting people for the first time? Especially when you're me. Because I, when you're younger, you might, I don't know, when you're younger you don't care at all so you're completely 
yourself and you're completely, you know, the not the worst version of yourself, but you're not really watching your P's and Q's. You just you're not aware of things like that. So you don't let people warm up to you, you just go, bang, that's me. And you can form some amazing friendships very quickly because you're you from the get-go. And people go, right, I either absolutely love you or I can't stand you. But then when you get older, you start to worry a bit more about stuff like that. And you think, well, you don't want people to not like you. But then you also just want to be yourself. I think when you can find those people that you just get that feeling you can be yourself with from the get-go. Or you just click so quickly. It's the best thing in the world. And if I think of all the people that I know and I'm really good mates with, I think I knew instantly. And if there's only one person that stands out that I absolutely hated the first time I met him and that was my mate Charlie and I met him at Cricket Nets and um, I'd been asked to go and play for Collingham for a bit of cash because I don't know if I mentioned it but I used to play cricket and I was quite good and I'd gone to play cricket for Collingham Um, a mate I used to play Yorkshire cricket with asked me to go over there he was captain and went to Nets at Headingley and I remember seeing this guy Charlie and he was really poshly spoken covered in paint and he's quite a quick bowler and um <laughs> oh, I'm so cocky oh, I was loads more cocky when I was younger playing cricket and at Headingley at the indoor nets it's you know the ball comes off really quick so if a bowler's quite quick it's even quicker inside and everyone wears a helmet but of course I don't and everyone's wearing a helmet and Charlie's pinging him down and I'm thinking well I'm the new guy I'm going to impress here so I take I don't even have the helmet I go down there and of course, everyone's looking around going, he's not got a helmet on, he's not got a helmet on. And Charlie's just, I can tell he's got his back up and he's starting to try and bounce me. And I'm hitting him and hitting him and then he's got the odd one through and he's hit me in the ribs and we're having a real tussle. And we're you know, we're not even spoken to each other, but I just hated him. I thought, what a cockhead. And I heard a few of his you know, quips here and there about me and, you know, who's this knobhead? But he spoke so posh. Who's this knobhead? What a wanker. Who does he think he is? And I was just thinking, oh my God, me and you are not going to get on this season. But we just did. And he's one of my best friends to this day. And um, he's an absolute legend. And he was a really high-flying business guy. At 25 years old, he had an incredible job. He's super smart. But he just decided he didn't want any of that corporate bullshit, which is completely him. And he started a paint and decorate business. And um, that's what he does. And he's just a legend. So I think apart from Charlie, everyone that I've ever said is a really good mate and ever is and still is a really good mate, I think I've always known straight away. So if you are in that category and you are my friend, and I I say best friend a lot, I don't know. I have tier one, tier two. I don't really have tier three friends. I have people that I know that are tier three, but I wouldn't class them as friends. But I think it depends what a best friend is. I mean, I have my really close friends, but... It all ebbs and flows, doesn't it? Sometimes you can be best mates with someone and not see them or speak to them, and that often doesn't mean you think anything less of them. Some people you can see a lot more of, but they're not your best friend, but you don't hate them, and they're lovely people, and I don't know. I think it's hard, isn't it? With women, I think there's always that classification or that pressure on having to say, are they a good friend, best friend, whatever. Some people are just, some people come in and out of your life, don't they? In stages. My dad doesn't even know where his best man is now. Which is weird. I say, oh, did you fall out? No, I just lost touch. And Have you ever tried to look for him? Oh, not really. I don't think so. Maybe I did. But he doesn't really, yeah. I just can't imagine, like, I've, I've been fortunate enough to have two best men because 
I had a trial run wedding, so then um, I got another crack at it, and I've got two best men, and I'm still in touch with both of them, obviously. Um, Joel and Pete, awesome. Um, but um, I can't ever imagine losing touch with either of them. Maybe that could be a uh, maybe that could be a story for next week. Have you have you any of you had any friends that you've lost touch with, or any of you? Nah, that'd be boring. But speaking of which, I have actually got the. Uh, <laughs> Two people have written in about last week's uh, questions. I asked two. I asked you all to send in any stories you've got of embarrassing moments, and I've had some absolute crackers. But I've decided just to pick the best two, and I'm going to tell you who they are. I don't know if I can tell you who they are. Maybe I can, um, but I'll tell you the stories, and they are absolutely amazing. Okay, so this story comes in from a very good friend of mine, who on paper is quite different to me. He's charismatic, he's charming, he's sensitive, he's very clever, he's successful, he's wealthy. He lives in a very affluent suburb of Melbourne, which is spelt B-R-I-G-H-T-O-N, but it's pronounced Brighton. And he's got a lovely wife, lovely kids, and he said that he has every faith that this podcast will be very successful and one day go global. I mean, it already is to a certain extent because I know I've got my UK listeners and a few in the Middle East, but, you know, whatever. Stop it. He just said that he would rather remain anonymous at this stage. So let's call him Mr. Brighton. And uh, his story that he sent in for me is very funny. And he said, I'll happily um, let you put it in your own words or you can read it from the email, whatever whatever you suit. So um, I think it's best if I just tell it in my own words because... um, I've read it a few times now and I, and I get the general gist. So he did, he did say that it was back in the early 90s. It was in a, um, he was at a house party in Richmond. It was his good friend's sister's house party. His friend was called Rob. And Mr. Brighton was upstairs on the balcony of a two-story, typical Richmond-style house, not too far from the London Tavern. And there was only one bathroom and there was a big line. Not what you're thinking. There was a big queue for the toilet. And he decided that he needed to urinate. And his friend, Rob, or somebody suggested that instead of, you know, queuing for the bathroom, just have a piss on the bel- off the balcony. So he can't remember whether or not it was just him that did it or a number of people did it, but he had a piss and heard these screams coming up from downstairs. Oh my God, I've been pissed on! And Rob's sister went absolutely nuts and started running upstairs. And in the time it took her to get up the stairs, Mr. Brighton said to his friend, listen, mate, you've got to take the rap for me. We weren't even invited to this house party. I can't, I can't be saying it to me. Just, you've got to do it. And quick as a flash, Rob was greeted by his sister, who was absolutely furious. And Rob just said, it was me. I took a piss off the balcony. And do you know what? It's a shit party anyway. There's only one toilet, it's ridiculous, we shouldn't be here, and we're going. And they walked off and went to the pub and carried on all as normal and uh, walked past the poor girl who was covered in piss and to this day they have no idea whether or not they knew who it was, whether or not the sister told the girl that had been pissed on who it was, but um, Mr Brighton got away with it and um, good on him. So thanks for that embarrassing story, absolutely loved it and um, very noble of your friend to do so for you. And thank you once again for being a lovely friend through this pandemic. It doesn't go unnoticed. 
Okay, so my final story this week, my second story that I picked of somebody that submitted embarrassing stories from a good friend of mine in the UK, Helen. And I've known Helen since I was 11 years old. We met at school, and unfortunately for Helen, because she was not quite as advanced um, in the brain department, we never really spent much time together in the classroom because she was always in set three for maths or English. And it's, it's quite strange now because... She isn't a thick person, so it might have just been that school wasn't for her. Um, I mean, she still has her moments, but she's not She's not a set three girl, but I think she just probably didn't try. Um, but we were really good friends at school, and our friendships got stronger and stronger as the years have gone on, and she's been kind enough to submit this story for us of one of her really embarrassing moments, of which there are many, by the way. I could do a whole podcast on this girl. Um, but just to give you some context of, of, of ways in which that she is quite um, blonde at times. So we were at her house once hungover, standard, and this is about 15 years ago, maybe maybe less, maybe 10 years ago, and um, we were all really hungover and wanted a Chinese. So I think it was about four or five of us, but we ordered so much food, as you do, got carried away. And um, this box arrived of Chinese, like this big wide, you know, they put it in a cardboard box. And there was all these piles and piles of food, the crispy duck and the chicken and cashew nuts and Szechuan chili prawn and all that stuff. It was beautiful. And we all pigged out as you do. But there was still so much of this food left. It was crazy. But we'd packed all the um, Chinese food back in the boxes, back in this big cardboard box. And it was lovely. It was like a, a perfect Jenga set. It was all packed in lovely. And went to put it in the fridge because it would have been a shame to have wasted it and have it for leftovers the next day. Um, but it was so wide, it wouldn't go in the fridge. And of course, you could have taken all the individual boxes out, but it was just, you know, it was looking all good. And Helen, Helen said, well, it's freezing outside. Why don't we just put it outside? And I said, well, <laughs> it's good in theory, but you live in the middle of nowhere and there's foxes everywhere. They'll absolutely smash it. And Helen said, and she meant it, and argued it, well, why don't we just put some cling film over the top of the box? And if you're an Australian listener, that's glad wrap, right? But well, let's call it cling film for the purpose of this story. And I said, sorry, Helen? She goes, yeah, just put some cling film over the top, be fine. Foxes won't go anywhere, anywhere near it. And I'm just crying inside, just, well, I'm not even crying inside at this point. I'm laughing out loud. I'm saying, Helen, are you serious? <laughs> And I said, well, okay, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll try and spell this out for you, Helen, okay? So, Fox family, cruising around the, uh, the streets, come past your driveway. Daddy Fox gets a little smell. What's that? It smells like crispy duck. Little baby fox. Oh, Dad, that smells good. Is that wontons? Oh, that's beautiful. Mummy Fox. Oh, I think I... I think there's some uh, duck and hoisin sauce, maybe, is that? Oh, let's follow our noses, eh? So all the fox little cubs and the fox family are cruising along down the driveway, through the paddock, over the wall. There it is, there it is, there's the food source, there's the food source. Mummy fox goes, oh my God, look at it. It's a beautiful big box of Chinese food. The dad's going, oh my God, this is great. So much better than chasing around those live chickens in the paddocks. This is beautiful. The little baby one, oh God, this is great. It's going to be my first Chinese food. Then the dad gets closer and says, oh no. no. Sorry kids, nah, can't do it. We can't do it. It's got cling film over the top. 
Oh, mummy, mummy fox is destroyed. Oh, no, not the cling. Oh, I can't believe it. And the little baby cub says, but we've got these really sharp claws, Dad. Can't we just get through the cling film with the claws and get to the food? And other little baby cubs, oh, what about these big, strong teeth that we've got? Surely we can rip it open. Mummy and Daddy Fox have not. No, you silly. You just, that's your immaturity shining through there. Of course, let's go on and try and get a chicken elsewhere. Anyway, <laughs> that's Helen. She also thinks that dolphin-friendly tuna doesn't contain dolphin meat. That's a true story. She didn't believe that dolphin-friendly tuna meant that they didn't use big nets that dolphins get tangled up in to catch the tuna. She actually thought that dolphin meat was in the in the tins that didn't have that written on it. It wasn't tuna. It was dolphin meat. So anyway, that's Helen for you. But she's amazing. She's a lovely girl. And uh, she's one of my best friends. And uh, that might just give you some context of what kind of weapon we're dealing with here. So her story is this. Paul, my most embarrassing story. About 15 or so years ago, I was working as a freelance makeup artist and some of my friends were getting married, so I was asked to do the makeup for the bride. The backstory to the couple getting married is this. The groom was a man named Robert and he was working in the Congo for the UN and he met his bride-to-be while he was living out in Tanzania. His bride's... Good name for a sunbed shop, that is, by the way, Tanzania. His bride's name was Anna, a beautiful African woman. They were expecting Anna's mother to arrive to be with her while she was getting ready for the big day. I was both excited yet a little nervous to meet her mother because I was told many stories by Anna and Robert about Anna's culture and how her mother was a typical matriarchal African woman of her family and of the community. A formidable woman, I was told. See, she's very eloquent, isn't there, is Helen. She writes beautifully. Anna's trepidation of her mother's imminent arrival was understandable. After all, this was going to be the first time her non-English-speaking African family were going to meet her fiancé's British, non-African-speaking family all on the most important day of her life. She arrives in all her magnificent African glory. She was wearing the traditional big, bright, colourful African ceremonial dress, the duku, which is the huge head wrap making her appear all the more stately. Anna introduces me to her mother in her native tongue. As she is making an introduction, her mother is looking me up and down, as if she were reserving judgment to her approval of me. No smile, no reaction of any kind, I'm sweating. My face is burning up. I know it's red and flushed. Her lack of warmth and acknowledgement towards me made me overcompensate and clumsy. I was in awe and terrified. She offered a hand to me, palm side down, saying not a word, as the Queen does when receiving her Prime Minister. I wanted so desperately to appear worldly and culturally educated in front of her and Anna. To this day, and even as I was doing it at the time, I kept thinking, Helen, that's not what you do. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. Give her her hand back. But I couldn't. I'd committed, and I'd had to see it through. I took the lady's hand, brought it to my face, and I kissed it. And at this point, I should have given it back to her. But no, that didn't do her presence justice. I went on to nuzzle it against my cheek, my head nodding up and down against her hand, as you would if you were marvelling at the softness of a new cashmere scarf. I think I even closed my eyes during the awkward and pathetic ordeal. I eventually stop and return her hand to her. She's staring at her daughter, bewildered as to what the hell just happened. Anna looks at me, her facial expression asking me, what on earth are you doing? I looked back at Anna, my throat constricting, my back sweating, knowing I had just made a completely idiotic faux pas. Anna told her husband, I told mine, and I was justifiably ridiculed for the rest of the day and ever more since. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Helen. That was a great story. 
And I'm going to wrap it up this week by asking the listeners for next week's content. If you've got any stories that involve aliens or ghosts, because I've got a lot of friends in my life that have stories, my mother being one of them. My mother had an experience this week, which she shared with me on WhatsApp, and I've been fascinated by it, and I'm going to share it with you next week. But as an addition to that story, I want to know whether or not any of you have ever had any experiences with the aliens or, you know, the um, UFOs or ghosts, something spooky. I want your spooky stories, okay? And I don't want them if it's been, you know, I don't want it if you're absolutely inebriated and you've, you know, you've seen a goblin or something. I want an actual proper, can't be explained, you weren't on hallucinogenic love drugs or anything like that, okay? All right, well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. I've had a really good time doing this, doing the podcast this week. It's been great fun. Um, please send your uh, content into pulltulip at yahoo.com. I want you to all have a lovely week, and hopefully it's not long now till we can all get out and start moving again, but who knows what's happening at the moment. But who cares, eh? you just got to make the most of every single day. The sun is shining. I'm sure you're having a lovely time with your friends and family, whatever you're doing. And I know your kids have probably been quite annoying, but who cares? Give them an extra cuddle from me. Not in a Rolf Harris way. Love you lots. If you can't be good, be careful. Stay safe.